0: Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venue Land, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry.
1: I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them.
0: Today's adventure takes us to Baltimore. We're going to talk with a, a true marketing legend. She's an Event and Arena Marketing Conference Geeky Award winner and for a lifetime of adventures in this industry. And I'm so excited to get to hear the stories of some of those today as we talk with the, the, the queen and the, the head guru of Edie Brown and Associates. Edie Brown, how are you today?
2: I'm wonderful. Thank you. And it's so nice to see your smiling faces.
0: We appreciate the time for us. And, and Edie, you know, we were just talking. You are still you know, uh, rocking things, you're still, uh, you know, doing a lot of stuff with Feld, you're still getting down in the mud at at Monster Jam, you're you're still a busy woman.
2: Well, I thought I'd retired a couple of years ago, but somehow, Beth Carter, who's the regional PR for Feld, convinces me to uh, keep working. And she's actually, as uh, a friend of our friend in Orlando, she's worked with him in the past with Kurt,
1: Oh, nice. Small industry, right?
2: Yeah, it's a big world, but a very small industry.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And Edie, one of the things that, you know, we, we recently saw you uh, in person in Minneapolis for the event and arena marketing conference. Uh, and you were going stronger than a lot of us. Uh, I mean, like, like I would turn around and I'd be like, boy, my, my, my legs are getting tired. It's been a long day. And I'd still see you you work in the room.
2: That's what we do in PR. <laughs>
0: One of the things I love about you is that, you know, you kind of have made your career. And I think I'm quoting you when I say this by treating everyone who crosses your path as a friend.
2: You know, I think it's really important. Um, I'm really old fashioned because I'm a really old broad. So what I knew going into the industry is what I still do. We are so tied up to our phones and texting and emails we've lost the personal connection. And, you know, in this industry, I think you have to be connected. You can't always just email them and say, I need you to cover this. Because if you look at a broadcast as a news broadcast, which is an hour, but in content, it's like 24 minutes. The rest is advertising and everything else. And out of that little space, there's two minutes for fluff, and hopefully, what we sell is fluff. And so, everybody is competing for the fluff you know, the symphony, the Broadway shows, the charities, on and on and on. So, how in a meeting do they say, okay, let's go with this person's fluff? And it's because there's a personal relationship. They know that when they come, You're going to be prepared. It's going to be professional. They can get their cameras in and out, and um, you know they appreciate that, and we appreciate as as individuals who are in the industry that they come and you know cover us. But it takes work. It takes personal connection. And um, in Baltimore, I think we're lucky because a lot of our media folks have been here forever, like Marty Bass, who. Been here 36 years, you know, I've gone to his kids' weddings. I used to, when he first got married, he used to, he has a little girl named Savannah who loved wrestling. He used to put her behind this cage. Now, you know, she's a married woman and she's doing PR in Atlanta somewhere. And um, she always says, you know, I taught her not only are you nice to people because when she grew up, she interned with me. Like we used to take the cakes for the Disney opening, you know, with all the information on a big sheet cake so the cameras could zero in on it. And not only do you take the cake, but you take the forks, the plates, the knives, everything themed so that, you know, newsrooms don't always have all those things. So it's all those little extras that I think you have to think about and do, and not only as a job because you want to do it. That's part of what you are if you're in this industry.
1: That's a great point about all the little things, and that, I think, really separates um, people that are kind of doing something because they love it and are passionate about it and know it's the right thing to do, and people that are kind of there to just collect the check, you know, like to to be blunt, you know, I think we've all run into people like that. We've either dealt with um, them on the other end of, you know, different PR people we're working with or uh, people we've, you know, seen uh, over the years. And sometimes people are there. It's like, this is what I've been asked to do. So that's all I'm going to do. And then you have these people such as yourselves and others that they do have these great relationships. And that's because, you know, all the people they work with, they know they go the extra mile. They actually care, like their heart is in what they do. So they care about the success of the event, the success of the, you know, the TV hit. Like they want everyone to feel great about it. And it's not just about like, okay, we've done this, let's move on. It's more of like, how do we do this to the best of our ability? And I think that really separates people.
2: Exactly. You know, uh, and it's not only... A lot of people think it's the people who are reading the news that are the important people, but it's the people behind, you know, the assignment editors. Yes, we love our producers. A lot of the photographers, you know, help make those decisions as to what they're going to cover.
0: Edie, so you know, you mentioned you know uh, a lifetime of, of of doing this, and and am I right that you actually before you got into uh, this whole side of things, you were a school teacher?
2: Yeah, well, this is kind of interesting because, you know, when you think about what we do, you know, how do we get to where we are? So when I graduated from college, I didn't want to go right in because I've been in school my whole, you know, life. So I went to work in a department store. With went through executive training program, became an assistant buyer, and then when I got married, I became a school teacher because. The hours were much better and the pay and I had the distinction of teaching Barry Levinson who you all might remember.
0: Oh yeah big director right he did like Rain Man and The Natural and even, I think Good Morning Vietnam.
2: Right it was funny because he I, you know I know exactly where he sat and what he did and if I would I had say, write about the trees, he would write about the grass. His mother would come up and say, you know, what am I gonna do with him? I'm gonna kill him. And I said, no, he's being creative. But, you know, we encourage that. I also taught um, uh, our Congressman Ben Cardin and actually he um, surprised me one day during the education. We called me to some school and, and it was kind of funny. I was at the desk and I said, oh, my gosh, I have to be at that school. The earrings were down. The lipstick wasn't on. I run to the school and they say, oh, we're waiting for you. And they bring me up on the stage. And I'm thinking, God, I should have worn something better. And where's my earring? And where's my lipstick? But anyway, <laughs> uh, and he gave me um, an award for being the teacher that most influenced his in life, which was really nice.
0: That's very sweet.
2: And I guess the purpose of this long journey of how I got to where I am. It's kind of interesting. So after I stopped teaching when I had the children, I became a potter. And so I taught pottery, lecture, blah, blah, blah. And then um, one day after doing that for a while, I happened to be downtown and they were putting up this beautiful new building. And I thought, what is that? Well, it's called the Convention Center. So I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. So I made a call and they said, yeah, come on in for an interview. I knew nothing about PR. I knew nothing about politics. I was just a lady in dirty jeans who was downtown. Anyway, I went for the interview and it was kind of interesting because the woman who had the job, it was the convention center, the convention bureau was young and very aggressive. And I, as I said, I didn't know anything about politics, but it seemed like, you know, there were a lot of influences of sure. people wanting to get their people in there, and she felt sure. very. Threatened. So I came bebopping bopping along, you know, not knowing anything, and she just felt comfortable. And I remember Wayne Chapel was head of it at that time. Came in to talk to me. Never asked me for a writing sample because I wouldn't have known what in the heck he was talking about. <laughs> No, I read the press I release. PR background. And you know, and I remember the only question he said was, So are you going to stuff envelopes? And I said, Yeah. So, well, my husband and kids, why? And he said, Oh, just want to know. And he walked out. And <laughs> later that night I got <laughs> a call saying, You've got the job, but you can't tell anybody for three weeks because we got to get through all these, you know, political interviews. So that's yeah. how I started in PR.
0: Wow, that was, that was back in like 79, right? So yeah. you really had, was there any calling to live events or what, you know, what what made you just kind of look at that building and walk in the door that day?
2: It was just a beautiful new building downtown. And I thought, gee, that's kind of interesting. Well, you know, what is it all about? But I just went to this job interview and uh, I guess the the person, her name was Sherry, um, was just very comfortable having me there.
0: Well, so in the city, the city of Baltimore, also uh, at that same facility ran the uh, the arena, right? And, yeah. and eventually, you made a transition from the convention center to what became the Baltimore Arena.
2: Right. Um, at one point, they, one of the mayors, combined the convention center, convention bureau, and the arena under one umbrella. Well, the the Bureau couldn't operate under city restrictions with budgeting and, you know, explaining how they were spending money. So they broke off, and then the convention center and the um, arena became one entity. And then they broke apart, and it just, although the convention Center was new and shiny and wonderful, it was getting a little boring having dinner with polyester meeting planners. And I thought, you know, the old arena was kind of decrepit, but it was kind of fun. So I moved up there.
0: Yeah, you talked about, you know, how beautiful the, the convention center was, but, but this arena was in trouble when you got there. And I, I bring this up because I know you helped turn it around, right? But, but it was just like this, this dark square of blackness.
2: It well, it, it's like sixty years old, and you know it had it outlived its um, its not usefulness because it was the only place you could have indoor events. But you know it was very antiquated in so many ways.
0: You there were like no lights around the arena, right? And so you actually part of a team that kind of helped, you know, turn things around and kind of revitalize that that whole that whole area.
2: And they always um, call, you know, add bad things to say about the arena. So um, I coined the phrase the fabulous Baltimore arena. So then all, you know, the people, even the sportscasters, started when they would come down and say, "Oh, and it's fabulous."
1: <laughs> <laughs> what are some of your uh, kind of favorite memories from those first days? Like I know. did you, you were at maybe the first EAMC in 1980, is that right? I mean, that's only like a year or two into that career. So I'm sure that was quite the experience. I know it was a much smaller conference, but you're meeting people who are kind of doing what you're doing for the first time that are elsewhere in the country. And I bet that was really memorable.
2: It was, um, and it kind of started in a weird way, um, there were a couple of us who, you know, had to talk to each other because we were sharing events, trying to, and so we said, gee, maybe we should get together." So that's how we we started just getting together. And again, you know, there's nothing like face to face. So we're not having a meeting with three hundred and what twenty five people that now belong all on Zoom, you know, actually being there seeing and, and having that energy is so important.
0: You know, Paul, mentioned, you know, some of your favorite memories, but talk to us a little bit about the, those early days of, of marketing, you know, and you mentioned stuffing envelopes, right? That, that probably sounds foreign to a, a lot of our listeners who, who, you know, don't even know how, uh, you know, uh, actual mail works, right? So everything's, everything's electronic <laughs> these days. So, so talk to us about some of those early days and some of the some things you loved about, about those times.
2: Well, we had a, a mayor, uh, William, William Donald Schaefer, who, you know, the city was his baby, was his love. And he he was a genius at pitting people against each other to make so he could pat them on the back and say, good job. And what was really interesting about it was because and and being in PR, you can't always just be isolated. You know, we became as part of my PR responsibility was being part of the city part you know part of the different events, the scope so things that happened in the city were all part of what I had to do. We hosted uh, not the first but one of the Miss USA we hosted it for two years pageants in Baltimore you know we did the papal visit. When he came, and so part of the responsibility I had to go and chair the PR committee for the papal visit for Miss USA, and they weren't always things held at the arena, but they were part of the fabric of what the arena stood for as part of sure. the scope. yeah.
0: The the papal visit had to be had to be really
1: some very unique unique uh, challenges there. Very. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm going to bring up one instance only because you've told me this before and you're going to know the details of it, but wasn't there an event and it may have been around when was it when like Clinton became president or something They had an event there at the arena and you escorted Kind of uh, some who's who of pop music at the time. And then, and then you were in a photo. And th- me being a photographer, I, of course, uh, geeked out a little bit about who you were saying, but you mentioned that Annie Leibovitz took this photo, right? So tell us kind of about that event and who all was there. I think that's uh, such an incredible thing.
2: Was the Bill Clinton when he was here? Well, actually, I just have to go back a little bit because. One of the things we hosted at the convention center was the, the presidential debate. So I got to spend a day with Barbara Bush and Nancy Reagan. Nancy Reagan's lipstick never left her lips because she didn't even have a sip of water. She was always perfect. Barbara Bush was just a real down-to-earth curmudgeon. Um, that was, you know, Bill Clinton, um, let's see, well, one of the things, uh, he came to Baltimore, we had a, a basketball tournament, and as part of his national campaign, I got a call on a Saturday night, like 1 a.m., I had to be at the arena the next morning, because Clinton was going to run in to give the award to the national, you know, to the winning team, and um Anyway, I came down, it was like 6.30 in the morning, whatever, and, you know, we had all these credentials and all these, you know, what we could do, what we couldn't do, so we went out on the floor, and Bill Clinton was here, and the audience was there, and they had the photographers behind barricades, well, they couldn't take the shot, you know, why were they there to take the shot of him giving the trophy, so, The Secret Service wasn't really happy, but I pulled the barriers and I ran them, let them run and get their shot. And as (laughs) Bill Clinton was walking out, he turned and he said to me, that was a really smart thing, Edie, thank you. And he remembered my name, but he was a genius at remembering names.
1: That's awesome. And then was it was it for a presidential thing later where uh Did you bring uh, some musicians up into a suite? I'm trying to remember the exact story, but it was like Michael Jackson and and Whitney. I'm 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 messing up the story.
2: I'm trying to remember. I thought you were going to ask me about my other friend, Dave.
1: Oh, oh, well, Dave, Dave to you, Dave to you, Uh, Dave Grohl to uh, all the rest of us who uh, who, you know, look on fondly at him. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because we did for anyone who attended the virtual conference, uh, which was, you know, not the same as the in-person, but in 2021, we kicked off the virtual conference in just about the most amazing way we could have uh, with all thanks to you and your relationship, but with Dave Grohl, obviously of Foo Fighters, Nirvana fame, and you have a relationship with uh, the family and with him and attended the wedding and you know, it, it does seem like uh, just one of the many amazing stories throughout your career. But do you want to tell us kind of about that and how it all came about and how you how you got to know them?
2: Well, um, they uh, actually married one of my best friend's daughters. And I didn't really know much about the Food Fighters, except they had played the arena. I remember that, you know, get them in, get them started and get out of there before the traffic. And And my kids, another, my kids never knew that there was a second half to anything because when intermission would come, I'd say, okay, let's leave before the (laughs) crowd. When they were older, they said, Mom. But um, anyway, Dave married Geordie and um, he is such a down to earth, nice, intelligent human being um you know he's a genuine person um i don't and this is going to sound bad but you know when he gets up there and he shakes his head and screams that's not he has a beautiful voice if you remember back to the academy awards a couple of years ago when they had remember all the people that have passed dave sat on the stage with the guitar and sang and um you know, that that's the part of him that I love, not necessarily when he's on stage. But um another funny was his mother, Jenny, and I went to see him in concert in, in Washington at the one of the venues. And so we were standing there. Now, all the young people see these two old ladies and they kind of give us distance around because they can't figure out what in the heck we're doing out there on the floor.
1: Did you uh, crowd surf that night, Edie? Did you? <laughs> did you uh...
2: I was very tame, sort of. But um, <laughs> he has three wonderful children. Uh, Violet has an incredible voice, and um, she's had her own little band. Fifi, the youngest one, has no interest in anything. She's the one that looks the most like George, his wife, Geordie. and um, you know they they have a very good marriage. They um, they complement each other, and um, you know she, on her own, has has done little some interesting things. She became an organic gardener, and she would go to these uh, farm. Things on Sunday, and sell product, and Dave would go and help her sell, or you know, he would do a barbecue. So there's lots of nice parts to to him other than being, you know, renowned musician.
0: It is a great interview uh, that you did. We, because you're you're. Familiarity with him and his family kind of gave him a, a comfort level that uh, uh, gave the interview just a different feel, and it's available. I know that uh, uh, Paul and our, our communications team posted that on YouTube. It is available. Uh, you can find it there, but it's it's definitely uh, uh, worth checking out because he's just a very very down to earth guy.
2: I forgot the name of the organization at the beginning. I was so nervous because when Kurt asked me to do it, I said. I'm behind the camera, not in front. I put people in front of the camera, and he kept calling, calling. He finally wore me down. Then he called, and Paul, everybody's calling. How's your audio? How's your sound? How's your background? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking idea. You know what just- we
1: landed the plane though. We got it. Uh <laughs> I mean, and some of that too, of course, we were like confirming it, you know, like I think the what the day before, uh, Dave, where we we confirmed moments before, it felt like yes. Moments But I mean it was it was wild. And then it and then it just went great. Uh, like Dave mentioned, you had such a nice rapport with him. And and I think to also, you know, credit him. What you were saying is he just does seem like one of the nicest guys in rock and roll, right? And he and he does play both sides of that, you know, even if you listen to the Foo Fighters stuff, uh, he has that kind of soft, frail voice that he'll sing. And, and then he has that like rock star screaming kind of yell and sometimes it, within the same song. But I think, you know, this versatility mixed with his personality is really a credit to his success that he's had and, and makes him memorable, I think, to a lot of the venues and uh, people that have posted him over the years.
2: Another sweet thing for their wedding, they live on top of a a big hill and um, said for the wedding, they sent baskets of champagne and cheeses to all the neighbors and said, tonight's the only time you might hear loud music coming from this place. So I thought that was a brilliant
1: idea. Uh, Yeah, that's (laughs) great.
0: Well, Edie, you, know, you mentioned you know, Dave Grohl and his family, but I know you know your family's played an important role in, in your adventures. Talk to me a little bit about uh, your family being along for, for this ride uh, for you.
2: Well, I have three children. My daughter, Jody now lives in Scottsdale, and she had triplets. Unfortunately, my granddaughter passed away four years ago, so she has two sons. One works in New York City. He works for a company called BlackRock. And my other uh, grandson is married and lives in Scottsdale. Uh, I have a son, Mitchell. He has two sons. One lives in uh, Frisco. He works for TCG, the venture capital firm that, um, what's his name? Uh, He was head of Fox. Film, they did the Titanic, Uh, it'll come. Yeah. You can look it up. And then um, (laughs) the other son lives in uh, London. He works for Instagram. um, Cool. And then my youngest son lives in either Boston, Florida, or Maine. And he has three children.
1: Have uh, any of them become chips off the old block? Have they? dip their toe in, in any PR stuff, or are they somewhat, uh, you know, kind of not necessarily wanting to touch it? Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure they got a little bit of a dose of it as they were growing up, but, uh, is it, is it sort of, uh, you know, they're all sort of exploring their own paths or have any of them kind of tried to do a little of that?
2: Yeah, they, um, they're all a lot smarter than I am. You know, they all are doing their own thing, but, I think um, my grandson Matt, who works for TCG, whatever it is, is the most. You know, he's he's really good at marketing. Uh, for instance, his company was going to bid on this. There's a town in Iowa or somewhere that is like the quilting capital of the world that everybody goes to. So his company was interested in maybe you know buying them. So he called and said, so I'm going to go there, Nana, but I just don't want to go and do the pitch. How about if I do a quilt and put their logo and my company's logo, you know, on a small quilt? Who can we find to do it? So that's thinking out of the
1: box. So we totally. Got to oh, that's very great. Eddie, I know you're,
0: you're very proud of your family, but I know they're, they're also got to be really proud of you. You developed a reputation uh, as kind of you know, a force to be reckoned with. Uh, we were talking about some some early stories in the days, but but tell me about the story. I've heard rumors about this, where you uh, kind of got into it with uh, Luciano Pavarotti's security team.
2: Oh. <laughs> so, as we mentioned, these the arena was pretty old and decrepit, so we had Pavarotti there. So. I insisted all our ushers, we rented tuxes for them and we put down red carpeting, but we wanted to do something really nice, you know, for their backstage and backstage was really, really decrepit and old and whatever. So we, you know, order carpeting and couches and, you know, nice things to be brought in and his security team started to give the guys a hard time. About it, what are you doing, you gonna? And I said, "Well, we're trying to make this nice." And anyway, they gave me a really hard time. So I turned to him and I said, "Okay, we're pulling all this fucking stuff out and leave it like it was." And they said, "Oh no, ma'am, no, no." So anyway, we got them, and Mr. Pravarati did pinch my ass several times. <laughs>
1: I mean that was like uh doing the whole arena welcome uh like before before the arena welcomes. Now everyone's doing it. now if you if that happened today, those security people would be like, bring in more, bring in more, bring in more, bring in more. You know, it's funny how times have changed like that. That's so funny. It's uh
2: yeah, well, the industry has changed so much, you know, and it's it's just remarkable what. People like you and, and the people out there can do in a minute's notice, look up anything. Nothing is sacred anymore. And we're never, never, you know, far from our, our phone. It's always with us.
1: Right. Sure.
0: So, you know, you you, know, you mentioned, obviously, the arena is terrible condition. And, and, and I know you were a big advocate in, in getting Baltimore a new arena. And as that happened, right around, the what, around 2000-ish uh, uh, is when you kind of decided to started Edie brown and associates your own pr agency talk to us about about that transition and then how you you also stayed on you know with the arena kind of as a consultant right
2: right um well i just you know got tired of all the hours and whatever so i decided to retire and um a couple of my clients and people that i'd worked with asked me to come work with them um I got hired by the state of Maryland in their economic development arm. So I did tourism, movies. Um, we had a big uh, department trying to get movies to come here, um, tourism. And so that was, that was a lot of fun. They sent me to Sundance a couple of times to uh, interview <clears throat> people. So That was very nice. Also, I worked. For a company called the Campbell Group. And the Campbell Group was the original advertising PR firm that uh, handled the Baltimore uh, Convention Bureau. So they did all of their uh, advertising outreach. So I worked for them too as a consultant. I did. A, and then Feld said, gee, we really like you doing our PR. So. We're going to, we want you to continue doing that. So I did that. um, And felt it really changed so much over the years. It's been an interesting transition. Oh, so going back to my grandson, Matt, um, one of the big partners went to Monster Jam and thought it was really great. And he said, we ought to look into, you know, doing something with this company. So at the meeting, Matt said, hey, you know, I know something about that. So he wrote a letter to Kenny Feld um, with pictures of him at the circus and all this. And um, anyway, Feld said that they want to stay private, but they would keep the company in mind if they ever decided that they wanted, you know, outside capital. But I thought that was really, you know, a good marketing on, on Matt's part.
1: Absolutely. What, what is it about Baltimore that, I mean, you've been there for how, how long was it your whole life? Were you born there? Like, I mean, is, what do you love about Baltimore? What, what's kind of kept you anchored there when I'm sure you had some opportunities to bounce around? Um. Well,
2: you know, Baltimore's home, um, Actually, I was born in Germany. My parents fled Nazi Germany when I was six years old. And it was kind of interesting because my father had blonde hair and blue eyes. So as my parents took the train across to Holland to get a boat to come to the States, they never questioned my father because he didn't look Jewish or either did my mother. So um, I I would say, so yeah, Baltimore has been my home. You know, my family was raised here. Everything I you know I've known my whole life. I, I've wanted to stay here. Um I had a job offer from St. Louis, where the convention bureau had asked me to come there to do be her VP of marketing and PR. And I you know, I said, I'm too old to move. Thank you though. <laughs>
1: I think there definitely is something about embracing your city, you know, especially I think the longer people spend in cities, sometimes they're able to develop these relationships, make a deeper impact. You know, I I think there's, we all see different strategies as far as kind of moving up in the industry and some people will bounce around and you can maybe move up faster that way, but you also probably lose some of the connection to the city you're in. So I do think clearly what you've established and what, you know, I see other people do, and what I try to do in, in Lexington and emulate is, you know, setting roots in. But also, you do get to meet those news anchors. You get to meet the local businesses. You know, you you have these personal relationships. So then, it's not just me marketing a show. It's how do I support this group, and how do I support them, and how do I elevate the whole city, which is going to help everyone. You know, and I think that's something that is, I'm sure, uh, helped with your success over the years. There is, you know, you've kind of become the legend of Baltimore, you know, you've stayed there and when you had opportunities to go elsewhere, you've, you know, really helped improve the arena there and do all these amazing things in the city that I think is better for it.
2: Yeah, it's been a wonderful journey. You know, when I look back on, you know, the different things that I became involved with, it's it's been a, a wonderful lifetime of friendships and events and adventures.
0: Well, hey, before we we let you wrap things up here today, I want to visit one of my favorite quotes from you. Um, When talking about PR, you you say, you always have to be honest. And if you don't know the answer, don't make it up. Just tell them you'll try to find the answer. Media can tell when you're bullshitting them.
2: That's true. That is true. And you know what? If you tell a lie, it always comes and bites you in the (laughs) you-know-where.
0: Uh, well, hey, I, I'm so glad that you uh, had the time to join us today. Before we let you go, I do want to give you a, a chance to answer our fast five. It's five quick questions, just looking for your, your, your instant response. First up, what was, what was your very first concert?
2: That was too long ago. I can't even
0: remember. <laughs> well, uh, do you have a favorite concert that, you, that, you, that sticks out?
2: Well, there have been a lot. Um, I love Billy Joel. Oh, Barry Manilow, Elton John. Oh, I have to say Foo Fighters. Um, You know, there's been such a a history. Prince, because we were just in Minneapolis. You know, they're all really wonderful memories.
0: What's your your favorite vacation you've ever done?
2: I think going to uh, maybe, no, Paris. Paris.
0: Is there one place you'd like to visit that you haven't been to yet? Someplace that's on your bucket list?
2: I had uh, something on my bucket list. Can we just diverse a minute? Absolutely. Hawaii. And so going back in the history of friendships and things, there was um, the position of director of promotion and the arts for the city of Baltimore. And one of the mayors wanted me to take it over. But there was a young man there that it did a good job. And I always felt that a job is a job, but friendship is more important. So I said to the mayor, no, Billy's doing a good job. He should stay there. So I never became a competitor. Fast forward, he he did a remarkable job. Um, When my husband passed away, Billy called and said, is Hawaii still on your bucket list? And I said, yeah, but I guess I'm gonna scratch it off. He said no, he said, we're taking you." so he and his partner took me no to way. Hawaii That's and great. um and I think it was because i I was always there when he was poor and I used to take him he lived in a walk up downtown and I used to drive him home because he didn't have a car, and I never wanted to take his job from him so he remembered that we, we have remained friends all these years, so Hawaii is now off my bucket list because I was there.
0: Congratulations, what a great story. lovely. Last question, what is your theme song? So there's the Edie Brown TV show, you know, uh, and cameras follow you around and, and film your life. What would be the theme song that would play over the opening credits to the Edie Brown show?
2: Oh my gosh, well, I danced to Mandy, but that wouldn't be it. (laughs) Um, What would it be? I'm trying to think. I love all Barbara Streisand songs. I'm a terrible songstress. I know the words, but I don't know any tunes, so most people tell me to just mouth the words.
0: Uh, Edie, uh, before uh, we wrap things up, is there any, uh, anything you want to plug? Any uh, Edie Brown and Associates uh, uh, stuff? Anything that, you know, if somebody wants to reach out to you, uh, what's the best place to find you these days?
2: Uh, they can just email me, ediebrownpr at gmail.com. And, um, you know, if there are any questions or people want advice, I'm more than happy to be a sounding board. I'm a sounding board for a lot of people
0: yeah what you know what what question do you get a lot? Do you get a lot of people looking for just generally you know you know advice because the you know marketing world has you know changed so much, but but there's still the there are still some truths that still are you know go way back to nineteen seventy nine when you were that girl at that office, just asking about, hey, what's going on inside this building?
2: Right. um you know, just going back to what I said originally, I think the best advice I can give anybody in the industry, you know, is be in touch be personal don't just be uh an email away or a text away you know face to face um you know i would take donuts into the morning and coffee for people because they can't get out or you know assignment editors are so busy so you know Find out what they like to eat and go in and have lunch with them in the lunchroom. You know, it's the personalization that I think that we've lost over the years. So to anybody that, you know, is in the industry, be in touch, be personal.
1: Great parting words of wisdom. Uh, Paul, anything else you want to touch on today? No, I mean, thanks for coming on. This is definitely when we started this podcast. Uh, you've you've been on on the list, and I was kind of building up to it. So uh, it it uh, we really appreciate you coming on. I'm sure we could fill another three or four episodes uh, with with uh, advice and stories from over the years, but we really we really appreciate it and appreciate you.
2: Oh but well, thank you for letting me be on. It isn't very often you get such old broads still working in this industry, but I'm coming to
0: Seattle, hopefully. Hopefully we'll uh, see you in Seattle in 2023 with the event and arena marketing conference. And I hope everybody else can make it out there too, because uh, Edie still parties like a rock star. (laughs) (laughs) And a big, big thanks to everybody for listening to adventures in venue land. Remember you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We love your five-star reviews. So you can help others find us. Until the
1: next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. Adventures in Venue Land is a side project of the Event and Arena Marketing Conference, a nonprofit organization bringing together people in the field of live entertainment to discuss marketing, publicity, and sales trends. Find out more at eventarena audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker guest booking and brand strategies by Paul Hooper guest research by Dave Rettelberger marketing strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us until the next adventure.